again. Good morning. We are so privileged to, to kind of come on and again continue on in this series. Um, it's been a little while since I've been here um, to kind of continue on, but I'm grateful that um, I'm here stuck with um, one of those highlighting chapters. You know, I wonder how many people, again, as um, we were here last week, you know, this is a big tough, this, is, this was always a big subject in, especially in our local church, and no doubt a number of other local churches as well, where obviously where there's a high level of singleness, um, the desire to talk about issues related to marriage and singleness, um, and I just wonder how many people have been counting down, you know, till we reach this chapter. Um, I hope that it will be, you know, not just merely informative um, for you, but maybe and maybe transformative. And so I want to start by reading our text and then praying. We're in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 9. And so let me read in your hearing. I'm reading from the ESV. So uh, again, please um, follow me in whatever version you have. Um, and then uh, let me pray and then uh, we, can talk about, we can talk about sex. Now concerning the matters which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God one of a kind and one of another. To the married and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if you cannot exercise self-control, you should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's pray. Father, we are um, always in need of your help. Um, there's a reason why you say we come to you and, you know, those who actually benefit from you come to you as children. And then, Lord Father, you know, we realize that this is not about coming and being childish before you. It's coming and realizing that we depend upon you, much as our own young children will depend on us. And so it is there, Lord Father, as we, as we long for your revelation, as we long for you to bring clarity, as we, as we long for you to draw the lines under what our commitments should be, what our focus should be, then this is where I pray, dear Lord God, that which what we, we study today will be transformative for us and not just, not just informational. That, Lord, you will take on board your revelation and, again, um, counter to the culture around us we will adopt those principles as you have given it to us and allow your word to speak into our lives. So we, we pray, Father, for, for that clarity. I thank you for your spirit who does speak. And, Father, for, for many who will um, need the information, but, obviously, but more so the transformation that this text can bring, I, I pray that you'll do that. Do a work in us all. No matter where we are, what our marital situation is, Lord, I pray you speak to us and bring us the encouragement and the safety, Lord God, of your word and your counsel. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn it in. All right, cool. All right, hopefully that's a little bit better. Um, 
I mean, you know, I don't normally, every now and then a good title comes and I couldn't, I couldn't help thinking as I, as I got to this chapter of quoting this and, and calling this Let's Talk About Sex. For those of you who are familiar with the Salt and Pepper song from um, a couple of decades ago, then, you know, this was obviously very popular, you know. And so here we are talking about sex, talking about marital situations and Again, like I said, um, this is a very popular subject. I know I have spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 7 um, trying to figure out my own situation. And I was grateful that I could go to God's Word rather than merely try to test manuals, you know, um, that people have there with various different ideas. I was grateful that I could come to a text like this and get um, the Word of God or the counsel of, of an apostle to be able to speak into my situations. I think, I believe that a frank discussion on sex is important because it is one of those subjects in which the world and the church have come to differ the most, at least on a superficial level. We actually differ on everything except on the principle that there must be a rule in which we can make moral judgments. And obviously this has happened and has accelerated particularly as we look to the, the 50s and the 60s with the sexual revolution. The church and the world have, have gone very different ways. And so this is the reason why I believe that particularly now as we look at this, we need to, again, realign ourselves as, a, as the church and the body of Christ with what God has to say about sex as opposed to what the world has to say about sex. But before I kind of go through the text, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time in the text because I think application here is going to be much more helpful, but I want to kind of help ground what Paul says in some really solid applications. But I want to speak first and foremost about context. And there's at least three things here I want to kind of highlight before I look at the text because there's no point looking at this and thinking that Paul is speaking genuinely into a vacuum. That he's genuinely just talking about sex as opposed to marital situations in a particular time, in a particular place, under particular circumstances. Now the particular circumstances was that as we look uh, through um, the text and go a little bit further down, you'll see from verse 26, he mentions about the current or the present distress. So many commentators believe that Corinth was going through a time of famine. And so due to the fact that food shortages were, were, were the norm, and obviously people were, um, especially the poorer people I would imagine, were obviously starving and, and struggling to, um, to, to basically feed themselves, let alone families. He was speaking to a particular situation about remaining unmarried for that particular period of time. Why try to arrange a marriage, much like within this time of this pandemic where marriages have, have been put on pause, why try to do something when really you have bigger fish to fry? You have bigger problems to deal with. And so to that extent, we need to understand Paul's tone in the letter from that context. Next, it is also important to place the current belief system of the Greeks at this time. Now, we dealt with some of this last week. But again, I want to reiterate for you, the context of Paul's advice is that the Greeks had a particular understanding of sex. So one school of thought was that sex was to be avoided because it was an act that involved the flesh. And all matters of the flesh were counterproductive to spiritual well-being. So in order to preserve my spiritual, my spiritual well-being, then I need to kind of refrain from sex um, as what we would call an ascetic, um, someone who believes that um, all the worldly pleasures around us, um, eating good food and, you know, all that. You have to just think of monks and you kind of get this idea of what it means to be an ascetic. 
to be away from life, to be away from the indulgences of life. And there were people that believed this. And as such, they believed that sex was something that was counterproductive to their spiritual well-being. The other school of thought was that the flesh was of little importance because of the spiritual nature of man, was able to transcend his mortal life. So he could do whatever he pleased. Because his body mattered very little. Obviously, both were wrong. And it's not strange that, in a sense, it's not so much that Paul, uh, Paul now navigates us to a middle ground, he navigates us to a completely different school of thought altogether, that both the body and the spirit were important to God. My third uh, particular piece of context here as well is that there also appears to be in the back of Paul's mind, especially as we look from verses 29 to 31, in particular verse 31 in this same chapter, is that Jesus is coming back soon. And now we know that, especially within that first century, that the expectation of Jesus' imminent return was something that we can see appear in many of the apostles' letters. And so that is also a context in which Paul is giving this advice. So all these need to be taken into consideration as we try to recontextualize the principles that I believe Paul is teaching us for our lives today. So let's turn to the text and We'll take our time to go for it, but I don't want to park too long here because I think application will be much more beneficial um, than, as it were, trying to do um, a thorough exegesis. So verse 1. Note that Paul is now only turning to their letter. So before, we didn't even realize there was a letter that in which he's actually responding to. There was a letter that they wrote with their issues lined up in which, obviously, um, marital status and sex was a part of that, maybe even the first item on that letter. But notice that all that we've been doing from, from chapter 1 right through to um, chapter 6 of this letter has been dealing with what I guess Paul is saying is the elephant in the room. And the elephant of the room was that there are other issues that I need to deal with that's going to make it easier for me to deal with those things which you think are your main concerns. But really, actually, they're not. Be prepared when you want to engage on a very, on, on, I guess on a spiritual level, with the problems in your life that if somebody wants to talk about something very different than you want to talk about. Paul needed to deal with their immaturity in relation to leaders and to himself, to sex in general, and before he can actually now address their own issues. So in that sense, from verse 1, we're getting, now that I've dealt with this, let me now speak to the issues that you're actually concerned with. There's a slight translational issue here as well where some people, if you, I don't know what commentary or what particular version of the, the, the book, the Bible you're reading, but the best translation, some people will say, it is good for a man not to be married. But just to kind of deal with that, that many agree that the best word here is sexual relations. So Paul is not necessarily um, advocating a monk's life, which, again, we see through the course of the church history that some people have believed that he is saying, you know, um, St. Augustine being one. 
And that's not what Paul is actually saying. The, the, the euphemism of, of um, to be with a woman is not about marriage as such, not about being married, but about sexual relations in general. And we'll start to see that ultimately Paul is here, continuing on from the last subject that we were dealing with, with people sleeping with prostitutes, was that this is him now trying to say to avoid fornication. So fornication is the issue. And he's saying that it's good to avoid having those sexual relationships. And again, the same is true today. Paul speaks to us today, and that much is true. That again, if you are in a relationship with somebody that you're not married, you should not be having a sexual relationship with them. And Paul is saying, stop. So verse 2. Now this is where the concession lies. All right, so you're, maybe you're, you've, you, you, you're having a casual relationship with a temple prostitute within, obviously, the ancient context, or maybe in our own context, with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And now Paul now offers a concession. Now, the best thing that you can do in order to resolve this and to be in the good and the perfect will of God, is that each man should actually marry. That they should have their own wife or their own husband in order to meet those needs. In that sense, Paul is now defining the place where safety and security is, 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 is found. That like Hebrews tells us, or the letter, that, um, the letter to the Hebrews tells us, that the marriage bed is undefiled. And so in that sense, if you want to enjoy a sexual relationship, then marriage is the place where it ought to be. And nothing has changed in terms of church and doctrine throughout the centuries that it will, be the same, it will still be true 2,000 years from now, no matter what the culture believes. So here again, I present you the fact that this is the only place in which marriage, um, sex is supposed to be enjoyed, and that is within the context of marriage. So that's quite straightforward. Let's move on. So then now Paul wants to highlight in verses 3 and 4, what does that look like? And so here now he's starting to deal with some of the present contexts where obviously if someone has an aesthetic view about view of sex where, well, you know, I, I need to be married because, again, we're talking about an ancient culture where everybody pretty much got married as standard and normally from a relatively young age and compared to our own times. But then again, even though they got married, most people would now pull back and just say, well, as, far as, as long as we have children and, you know. And again, it's, the same is true for some cultures even to this very day. That sex is not to be enjoyed and that ultimately it's purely for procreation. Let's make children and then pretty much let's, let's back off. Paul now rubs against that idea and says that actually there needs to be a continual sexual relationship. What's actually transformative here is that it's an equal one. The ancient world, there were no rights for women to be able to say, um, I don't want to have sex with my husband. It was the man's prerogative whether he wanted to have sex or not. And so Paul here is transforming the Greek worldview by telling them that actually, no, sex is equal, an equal right to both parties. This can escape us in our modern setting because we think that, well, this is probably, you know, Christians are prudish. Here is Paul in his own ancient world making a sexual revolution. 
It's so easy now, having benefited from centuries of Christian culture, especially here within the UK, to think that and take for granted the equalities that we are currently having. In a sense, it was the years of progression of allowing Christian doctrine to settle, not just within the minds of people, but even into the way that people formed their nation. And again, many of us don't appreciate this. One of the things I say to the current troubles is that we don't want we don't want virtue signaling. We want lasting change. We want and we want to replace bad ideas with good ideas so that they will grow and they will grow and they will be invested in to all the organizations and to the governments that they need. And it needs to be invested in people because people make up governments and organizations. As they carry these ideas with them, they change the culture. But normally this takes a long time. I've noticed that this is, again, some of those who are very much staunch atheists. If you, I don't know, if you're a rich, a, a purvey the, the, the annuals of, of YouTube, then you're starting to find a lot of people who are transforming their thoughts about Christianity, especially in, re, in relation to U, US and UK culture, where they're suddenly realizing that as they move away from a Christian culture, or from a Christian worldview, that what waits for them on the other side is actually quite ugly. A moral relativism that ultimately leads to pragmatism and people just do what works and not actually what is right. If you want to see lasting change, then we need to stick to a place where we can find a place where there are solid ideas that can transform people's lives. So this whole idea that the authority of each a person's body is actually invested in, 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 in the partner is important. And I don't think he is just saying this as a, as a figure of speech, but to actually consider the fact that my body belongs to somebody else. If you think about your body in that way, then you suddenly realize the limits that you have on your body. And the way that it ought to transform our relationship to one another. Because again, what I put into my body, that which I, how I look after my body, can I now give that which is somebody else's to somebody else? If I have money, if, if, if somebody is, has entrusted me with some money, for example, and then I go and, and spend it on my, my, myself, then I've done a dishonorable service to that person whom I'm carrying that money for. If we start to think of our bodies in that way, it gives us a transformative idea of what Paul is saying about sex and about what marriage is. It also speaks to the fact that people need to think very hard about, when you, when you, when you think about implementing this principle into your life, you need to think very hard about what it means to be married. Can I get married under the principle that the body that I have actually belongs to my partner? How this will transform the, I, I, I mean, even down to the abortion issue. This is why I believe that marriage counseling is indispensable for helping to get the ball rolling in defining what married life will look like. Now, I'm not even going to begin to say that just because you've had that conversation, no issues will, will arise. They certainly will. But at least you have an understanding of what your commitment looks like. 
and you have something to fall back on where you can, you don't have to come to that situation and say, well, now I'm old. Why am I hearing this now? We need to get this into our system of what it means actually to live for one another as opposed to just having our day. What does life look like beyond the wedding day? And it looks like your body is not your own. As we move on to verse 5, it says, Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement. So here we now have another concession from Paul. Note that Paul does not say that it is a spouse's right to now use a spiritual situation to deny their partner, their spouse, sex. It says it has to be agreed upon. There's no, this is my body and I choose to do with it how I please. Obviously, we, this all comes in the, in, in the context of wanting to understand and, you know, that under the right conditions, you want to have sex. But you cannot set your own conditions and say, ultimately, if I decide to have a spiritual time, like again, um, the, 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 the appeal to have an ascetic life, because obviously people who are off that spiritual type, and to be honest with you, that still exists today, and you'll see some of this in my application in very subtle ways, but yet it's the same idea that, you know, um, I can't be spiritual and be having a sexual life. Notice also in the, in the last part of this section that the reason why it's best to agree and have the partner agree is that each person has a duty and a right to actually protect their partner from temptation. Now, this is tough to, to kind of say this, but there is a responsibility that when a marriage breaks down, especially with, within the context of an affair, that both parties may very well have to address the issues that they have both played. How often whether man or woman have actually said that the reason why they've got on into an affair was because the other person gave them attention. They made them feel special. They made them feel like they were valuable again. That they were somebody. Even though they necessarily didn't want that relationship, just the attention alone transformed their ability to give over themselves. We have a responsibility to protect our spouses, if you are married, from such temptations. Verse 6 and 7. Now, as another concession that Paul brings, he now says, and this is where I guess most people now have developed throughout church history, in particular as we, as I said, we look at monks and nuns and, and, and those who choose to have an ascetic life um, as, a being, as quote unquote being more spiritual. This is where people, like Augustine, may have got this idea that actually not having sin and um, sex uh, or sex being a venial sin which is venial basically means a small sin but not a, a grand sin um, has got this idea and this is what Paul states and I, and I want to reframe this so that maybe you have a better understanding of what actually Paul is saying here now as a concession not as a command I say this that I wish all were as I myself am but each has his own gift from God one of a kind and one of another. How I, how I hope that we would actually pay more attention to that but, more than we focus on that first verse, or that first sentence. The but 
is an adversative. In other words, it now is transforming that which was currently said because when we all know that we have a conversation and someone says, but we know that he is now, they're now taking the argument completely into a completely different thing and to almost to the point where you have to forget what was previously said. But, I'm going to give you an illustration of what Paul is actually doing here. It's like Paul, think of it like someone who is trying to promote somebody into enjoying football. He says, you know what, you really need to get into football, you know, such a great game. The beautiful game, people would say. And as they illustrate this, why it's important to be involved in this, at the same time, they interject that if you really need a team to follow, you ought to follow my team. You know, I'm a Tottenham supporter. I'm an Arsenal supporter. I'm a Man U supporter. And it's almost like they interject their personal preference whilst telling you, if you really want to enjoy football, here's my team, here's my group. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. He fits within this context where he's going to be dealing with married people, with widowed people, with single people, with divorced people. He's now promoting his own group. I'm content within my group. But whatever group you're in, you're still blessed. Doesn't matter. And Paul is not here stating the preference for the more spiritual life. He is just content, using my football analogy, being within, he appreciates football, but he appreciates his team. I love my team. But each has his own gift from God. So that but transforms us so that we now say, well, where you're at, you're blessed there too. But I'm glad and I'm happy in my team, in my group. Moving on to verse 8 now. To the unmarried and widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. So again, Paul is restating his principle here and looking on to verse 9, says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. Again, this is that but again. I want you to join my team. If, you, if you're in that situation where you're unmarried or a widow, you're single or a widow, then yeah, you're on my team. But, verse 9, Better to find contentment in your own team. If you find out that, wow, you know, you watch a Man U game and you're not really feeling Man U, then ultimately find a team that plays the way that you like. And hence, so here, that but is putting the strength on finding what gift God has given you. If you have the gift of singleness, of celibacy, run with it. If you, want, if you have the gift to, 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 to marry and raise up godly seed, run with it. Again, I, I reference, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 4. You know, each man needs to figure out how to govern and navigate his own vessel. And he, he clearly states the same principle from here, there again. So that everybody can flee sexual immorality, figure out if you need to be married, be married. Again, we could have another conversation here about, you know, well, you know, it's just not as simple as that. And I know, and I've heard people say that, and I appreciate when they say, you know, well, it's not as simple as that, but... Sometimes you've got to kind of defeat the myth of finding the one in order to be practical about this. But that's as much as I'm going to say about that. So what's the application here? Well, 
The common reprise in this chapter is Paul's encouragement for each group, married, single, divorced, widowed, to remain in the state which God has called them. That's the constant refrain. Whichever state God has called you, try to remain in that. So contrary to popular opinion, Paul is not strictly in favour of celibacy as though that is the highest calling in order for people to attain true spiritual maturity. Because in that case, he would be in agreement with the ascetics and he does not agree with them. He does not agree with the monastic life. Paul merely frames his argument in a letter to people he knows well from the strength of his own group, which I just illustrated with the whole idea of the football metaphor. And each one of those within that whole idea of marital status, whether it be single, divorced, married or widowed, they're all teams in which you have to find your contentment in. Even for the divorced, you know, or for the, particularly the widowed, some people are content that their partner was so right for them that I just want to honour them by just not getting married again. That's a gift. Let them use it. But if not, let them get remarried. Obviously, the grounds for divorce is something that we'll deal with later. But again, Paul is not in favor of one of these groups above all the other. And I believe that if Paul were married, he would be also arguing and advocating from the point of view that I wish all were like I am. I'm married. I'm enjoying where I'm at, aren't you? So specifically, I won't deal with all the others, as I just said, the single, divorce, and widow. That's, that's for, um, for those who are coming after me to kind of deal with. But to the married, I want to continue my my. my my application, and it says that the heart of Paul's argument here is the conviction that commitments to spouses and God should be kept with the utmost integrity. A spouse should not alter a prior commitment in favor of some new one with the belief that God will bless it because it is more spiritual. So the whole idea of, you know, I'm, you know, God has called me away and I need to kind of do this and, you know, and, um, you know, so, um, you know, yeah, you'd be all right. Um, God has called me. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, you sit and burn. You are not blessing God. And in fact, you are dishonoring God by doing that. An example of this in modern culture is, is Hindu culture. There are others, but Hindu culture, it's, 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 it's actually quite normal for the men once they pass middle age and they've got their families now and their legacy is established to unfetter themselves from earthly entanglements such as family and devote themselves to an ascetic lifestyle. Now I'm going to achieve nirvana. I'm going now to achieve that oneness with, 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 with Vishnu. That's my now whole purpose now, to purge myself of the, my earthly life so that I can now um, get into oneness so I don't have to be reincarnated. I also know in our current culture that there is a, it's not uncommon for couples to sleep in separate beds and even bedrooms as they move into elderly years. You know... I've seen this, heard of it. They don't sleep together anymore. What is true for all marriages is that the people will change their needs and preferences along with current states of mind. And that's, we have to deal with the fact that that will happen. 
Hence, even as we talk about these things in marriage counselling, once the rubber hits the road, things will definitely change. But it doesn't stop the fact that it's good to talk about these things. And obviously there are periods in life where needs and, and obviously um, libidos will change. But, if, but, to pull his con- but to pull his conviction is that if we hold true to our gospel commitment, then we need to honour the commitments we have already made. As opposed to making new commitments that seem to veto old commitments. So the person who leaves a spouse, as I've already said, in order to serve the Lord with more of their undivided attention has done a disservice to the Lord and their spouse. We should also bear in mind that we, we need to not manipulate our spouse through withholding sex. By saying this, I do not want to advocate that sex is to be forced and that it should be used as a weapon in which to prove or enforce a point. And I guess as you speak into our modern context, that's something that we can actually do. And sometimes people are actually proud to do. And as, again, depending on where you get your advice, some people will say, girlfriend, you've got to, you've got to cut him off. And it's used as a weapon. Again, I would not advocate that. And again, it's, it's where we have to show that we differ from the culture. As I've already stated, you have a duty to protect your spouse from temptation. How many people have wrecked their own marriages by enforcing that own line of argument? It's not to give in to and say, well, you know, spouses are, 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 are cool to do that. It's... I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it's a responsibility that you both bear. It's very easy to look at the quote-unquote offending party and assume that it's all their fault. I think Paul is actually telling us it's, it's, it's much deeper than that. And that we both bear responsibility. In summary, I want to restate what I believe in is the underlying assumption of Paul's argument. Like in ancient times, we today are in search of the most blessed life. You know, people come and, you know, how do I, how, how do I have a blessed life? I mean, you know, we know that heaven is coming, but a new heaven and a new earth is coming, but, you know, what's the best life I can possibly have right now? And, you know, outside the church, marriage is not a big deal. We know that. You know, we can live together. We don't have to get married. If you, you know, again, if people want to have their day, then that's something that they would do. But ultimately, you know, living together is pretty much, you know, that's doable. We also have this, in recent years, we've seen the friends with benefits. So we don't even have to live with each other. We can just have a frequent sex relationship, but, with, you know, no strings attached. So outside the church, marriage is not a big deal. But within the church, there is still this whole idea. And I know as, you know, we've, we, we had that time in this period, especially in our own local church, where there were lots of singles. And there was a desire that, well, I'm, I'm not quite complete until I've been married. And there is that strong desire because, again, the way that um, especially Protestant churches have moved over the last year, away from obviously Catholic tradition, have seen that marriage is a good thing. And so we've promoted that, and marriage is ideal. And not only is it ideal for us in general to be married, but even specifically for our leaders to be married as a sense of security. And, and there is that, you know, again, that pressure to be married. And again, it's assumed that you're now living in the fullness of God's best and, and you're, you know, have a degree of protection. And so the blessed life has looked like the married life. And there is a point where we have maybe overplayed that. And we need to maybe redress that and actually look at the level playing field. 
Here, Paulu is making it clear that whatever our marital status is, it is suitable for God's purposes for you. In other words, there is a challenge here to find contentment where you are at. There is no point thinking that, well, once I get there, happiness will be found. And I say this to the point where you can, it's easy to cast all your misfortunes on your present circumstances and say, oh man, if only I weren't married, I would be able to do more for God. Or, oh, if only I were married, I would be able to, then, you know, everything, I can do everything I need to do for God. It's that assumption that once I'm in that right situation, then this situation that I'm currently in, the curse that I'm currently in, will, 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 will make me happy. But Paul is actually saying, no, actually, the power of the gospel is that wherever you are at, that contentment can reach you. You don't have to be married. And this was, a, this was what, again, um, Tim Keller would call was the first sexual revolution. I, you know, there's a link there, and I, and I encourage you to kind of look at this if you want to get some more of the historical background. And, you know, on YouTube there, he has a, he has some, a, a series of short Bible studies on um, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 7, and a few other of Paul's, um, excerpts of Paul's um, teaching on, on, on sex. And he unpacks it very well. I encourage you, if you're, if you're looking for more, then please go there and follow the link or, or look up um, Tim Keller and the First Sexual Revolution and, 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 and get a little bit more. But in Paul's day, this was transformative because just like today, there were norms and there were preferences that Paul ultimately is saying, well, actually, the playing field, no matter which situation you're in, you're, the gospel can reach you there and you could be living to God's fullest. So to the singles, I would say, you can live to God's fullest. To the married, I say, you can live to God's fullest. To the divorced, I will say, you can live to God's fullest. To the, to the widowed, I can say, you can, you can live to God's fullest. The gospel meets you there. Speaking a little bit more to our current context as I you know, wrap up. You know, I read an article last week that there was a, a surge in um, demand for rented properties. You know, the lockdown has hit some relationships hard. And that demand has actually been through break. As they, a lot of them believe have been through breakups. Again, people were saying this, in, you know, prior to the lockdown, the, all the other distresses it will bring and, you know, and, and marital issues or relationship issues will, will bring some people to bear. Some people like passing ships, isn't it? And they didn't really know who they were involved with. Some people without pubs and clubs and all the rest of it to distract them suddenly have to deal with the person in front of them. And it's proved too difficult. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's hit your marriage hard. Maybe it's hit your singleness hard. As I carry this message to you and as I try to lift this from, from that first century into our own 21st century, I want to remind you, you are good where you are. As Paul will later say, if you are married, don't seek to be released. If you are single and you're struggling in, in this difficult period, don't seek to be married. Find the contentment where you are at, and if your circumstances change, praise be to God. But the gospel meets you right where you are at. Whoever you are, whatever your marital situation, that's what I want to leave you with today. The gospel meets you there. 
Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning that we have the opportunity to come to your word and, and, and again, be able to alleviate ourselves of the responsibility to make these decisions for yourself, to find myself, as some would say, and make my own decisions and determine my own, uh, my own path to success. But Lord, again, you, you say this is what is good. You define what is good and what is perfect. And you make it clear, 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 clear enough for us that we may follow it. And you've made it so there, Lord God, even as Habakkuk was told that um, write the vision down and make it plain so that even those who run be able to see it. He's almost kind of pictured this whole idea of a billboard, you know, that it wasn't a new invention, that before there were billboards clearly saying this is the revelation of God, this is what you ought to do. And this is what we have in your word there, Lord God. Clear and frank information that can transform our lives if we follow it. And liberate us. Liberate those who are married who feel like it's trapped them and, and limited their options. And freedom, their Lord God, for those who are single who, who feel that, you know, if they were only married, they would, they would have a better life, their Lord God. And it liberates them. Those who are divorced and, and, and living through that trauma, their Lord God, here is a message that can liberate them. And for those who have gone through the grief of 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 being widowed. Here is a message that can transform them. God, the gospel can meet them where they're at. That that can be as blessed as any other circumstances. Either way, the Lord God, the gospel's got us. We're not to look for satisfaction in something like, you know, being married or being single will, will save us from our present distress, the Lord God. We have a hope. And our hope is in you. Not in a spouse, not in our singleness, but the fact that you cover us wherever we are. So Lord, help us to just hold on to that this day and, 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 and maybe we can use that to our benefit today. Maybe you can save a marriage today, dear Lord God. Save two people who have been at each other's throats, dear Lord God. Maybe that was a silent war. Maybe people didn't even know. Maybe you just felt the coldness but didn't think much of it. But Lord God, maybe you transformed that person's heart today. Maybe, Lord, the war is quite real, dear Lord Father, and people are in no doubt where they're at. And I pray you transform their heart as well because, Lord, if they seek to be free, dear Lord God, the message today is stay right where you are. That's where God can meet you. And I pray that they will. I pray that they will respond to that and say, I've made a commitment and I don't need to make a new commitment that nullifies that old commitment because that old commitment is where God met me and that's exactly what Paul says in his letter today. Wherever you are at, wherever you, whichever situation God met you at, where the gospel met you, God can use that. May we hear that today, dear Lord God, and, and not try to think that maybe I need to make a new commitment. They need to make a new commitment, Lord, make it to the fact that, Lord, they believe that wherever you've met them, wherever, how difficult it is that you can actually transform their lives there. So, Lord, help us, we pray, as we commit these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.